Hi friends, this is a podcast about belief, healing, and humanity. What makes us who we are? What makes the world tick? And how can we leave it a little bit better than how we found it? This isn't a how-to guide, even though the title suggested. How to be human is about finding hope in our stories, being better listeners and agents for change. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. This is How to Be Human. What kind of power lies in a single vote? Is it the kind of power that determines whether or not your voice is heard after an election? Lots of people would like to tell you yes. After the 2018 election in Georgia, when Stacey Abrams was defeated by Brian Kemp, something that's still debated to this day for a lot of reasons, reasons you're going to hear about in this podcast, the vote is so essential to our democracy. And there is inherently some systematic fails in the voting system right now. And there are people who are working towards making it fair, equitable, and inclusive to all members of society as it was intended to be. Today, we're going to listen to two wonderful human beings who are doing activism work in the state of Georgia to ensure that everyone's right to vote is honored and maintained as sacred. You're going to hear a lot of heavy stuff today, but I'm going to ask you to hang on and hang in because it's really important that we understand the process of voting and that we understand what voter suppression is. And today's episode is going to focus specifically on what happened in the governor election within the state of Georgia. You're going to learn about voter suppression today. You're going to learn why your vote still matters, why it's so critically important that you pay attention to legislation after an election, and why it is so important for you to know who you have in your districts representing you. We have to pay attention. We have to speak up. And these activists are going to teach you a lot today. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves. My name is Leah Allen, and I am a Southerner. I was born and raised in the South, and I'm also an organizer and a concerned citizen around voting rights and access to the vote. I'm also a seminary student studying theology. Yeah, that's it. Yes, I am Cecilia Houston Torrance, and definitely what they call a grits girl raised in the South, um, born and raised in uh, Daphne, Alabama, been in Atlanta now for for quite some time. But my work has been primarily with the League of Women Voters, Atlanta, Fulton County, where I've been a member for over 20 years, past president for four. Um, I'm no longer a board member now, and most of the work I'm doing now is through the Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda. That's where I was working during the past election cycle with coalition and also election protection. Thank you so much to both of you guys, you all for being here with us, to our listeners and sharing your stories about what's been happening. Um, I think it would be a good thing to kind of just explain the the pulse of and the state of affairs in, in Georgia with voting, especially within the last year, uh, within the election. Can someone kind of explain conceptually what voter suppression is? Well, as I see it, this is Cecilia, as I see it, um, there were some things happening um, during this last election cycle that were definitely aimed to discourage people from voting. The voter, uh, the ID 
that was one of the um, tools that was used. Also, um, I was called to actually testify in federal court about the voting machines. They filed an injunction the week before to uh, try to go to the paper ballots, which at that time, I thought that that would discourage people from voting. Um, as y'all know, this was a historic election. We were very close to getting our first woman governor and a black woman at that. So I felt that it would discourage voters if the process was changed so close to the election because people are already so skeptical about the process and registering the vote. So I, I'm not sure if I stood on the right side of that or not, but I did not want a week or two out, try to change the process, go to a paper ballot, because it would have taken too much time. It would have pretty much practically eliminated early voting. And as you know, early voting is so important in all elections. So I know that that would have um, eliminated early early voting because they wouldn't have been able to get those paper ballots processed by that time. So what I saw was a lot of people wanting to be a part of the process, working at Adamsville. And that's where I met Leah. And when I was uh, working at Adamsville doing election protection, a lot of people just really did not understand the process. And that is what it encouraged yet discouraged me at the same time. I really felt that most of our work should have been done before um, October a lot of people came there on election day that wanted to vote. They didn't know that they could not vote there because they lived, They were from Alabama. They thought that they could just go anywhere and vote. And um, it was sad that people actually wanted to vote, but just didn't have the right. Um, they weren't registered or in the right um, precinct. So I feel that there's work that we can do to educate our voters about um making sure that they know where to go on the day of election, where they need to go to vote. So what are some of the things you saw, Leah? Yeah, I, I can echo everything that Cecilia said. And also, I just wanted to say on suppression, I mean, that means to me is denying access because voices of people that may be silenced or that may be minimized and live in a democracy and that the goal of that democracy is that those voices are always included and that the citizens take their own individual and collective power to do that by way of voting. I think that what I really saw in Georgia's election in 2018 was suppression in terms of denying access to the vote. And that has been going on for a while. And Cecilia really gave you a good image of what was happening at the polls and some of the things that were happening before that, but also, you know, um, suppression in Georgia and which is a really good model for, um, where the South is right now, I think with the former secretary of state, now governor Brian Kemp having removed 1.4 million people from the voting rolls since he was secretary of state back in 2010. So that's over an eight year period of moving 1.4 million people from the voting rolls. And a conservative statistic is that of the 1.4 million, 400,000 of those were convicted felons. And in Georgia, those folks cannot vote. Well, even if we take that number, which is a very conservative number, that means that a million people since 2010, between 2010 and 2018, were kicked off of voter registration rolls by a secretary of state. And that, to me, is an abuse of power. And that, to me, is denying access to people who have the right. And that was, you know, one example of voter suppression I saw. Yeah, you nailed that. Um, 
Leah, because the fact that now Governor Kemp was allowed to oversee an election that he was participating in, and I know that that is the law, but it 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 just didn't feel right, and I think that he should have definitely stepped down and recused himself from that, just so that the appearance of impropriety wasn't there. And um, with all the things that were going on, I just felt that it he should have stepped up and just said, "I'll just step back." But um, obviously, he didn't. The margin was so close that. We all know that there are a lot of votes that I feel still weren't weren't counted. And as you know, that's why we were there that fateful day at the Capitol when basically all hell broke loose. We were there wanting to make sure that every vote count. That was our mantra. Count every vote, count every vote, because he had declared himself the winner. And there were still votes that were uncounted. And that just didn't feel right. A lot of us were there that day because we felt that strongly about it. And um, as you know, Leah, it turned so quickly into, I don't even know what you want to call it almost like martial law, Um, Senator Nakima Williams, who I was standing right next to, they came and they handcuffed her. And I'm, I mean, when I say I was truly amazed because I'm like, what did she do? Do you know who she is? Do you see her badge? And um, all of the pictures, you know, first time I've made national news because that pictures on Huffington Post were me. I'm holding my face like almost like the home alone, like, ah, and she's uh, being led away. It, it, I, I never thought in my lifetime that I would be that person in that picture, <laughs> you know, because, you know, you see it back in the 60s. You see the people standing in the background. You're like, wow, what's going on in their minds? I can tell you what was going on in my mind. It's like, is this really happening? Is this happening here in Georgia that we cannot peacefully protest without getting arrested? And I think they're calling themselves the Georgia 15. Have you heard anything about that, Leah? The 15 people that were arrested with Senator Williams? Yes, I know that a lot of phone calls were made. And, you know, Rachel, I think it's important for you and for folks listening to know the role that Cecilia played in helping um, as best she could to get those folks released that day. That was a long day. There were a lot of phone calls that had to be made to judges and to heads of the um, jail in order to try to make some, some progress on this. I think had it not been for Cecilia for election protection for the folks from the um, people's agenda, Black Voters Matter, and just a lot of, a lot of individuals. Um, I don't know if it was Galileo, but there was also a Latinx group that was there. And if it weren't for those people being there, then I don't think that the media would have shown up. I don't think that our state legislators would have shown up to stand and talk to them in the rain to explain why what was going on was unfair and unjust. And I, I don't think that they would have been released that day and, and certainly not had, you know, some charges dropped. But what I realized, Leah, on that date, that what I know what was missing. We were there. We were there to protest. Um, we did not have, I don't want to say a plan, but back in the 60s, they knew who was going to get the bail money. They knew that they were going to get arrested. I think, I don't, I know I was naive. I did not think I was going to be arrested that day. I didn't go there thinking that, but we've got to be more prepared going forward. When we set out to um, demonstrate, 
We got to have a plan. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've been discussing. And I discussed that last Tuesday at the uh, People's Coalition meeting is that, first of all, we need some nonviolent training. Um, And I've always said, I don't know if I would have been about that back in the day. I'm like, you know, but we do need some training on how to peacefully resist and um, who has the plan. We know Lee is going to get me out of jail (laughs) if I go, you know, we'll have those people in place. It worked out great that day only because uh, we did have some smart people there that were leading us in the right direction. And, um, but I, what I want to see going forward is that we, we have a, a better plan about who's going to do what. I mean, that's what, that's part of the learning process. That's what we learned that day, because I don't think any of us knew that it was going to turn on a dime like that. But we learned though, we learned quickly that, uh, how quickly, uh, things can, um, go south. Well, you had state patrol and also the Capitol, Police mm-hmm. there. I mean, you have. I mean, and mm-hmm. Mary, because I watched it um, from Leah was broadcasting live several times, and I was sharing and sending it out to every platform I had to make people aware. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I watched several people who were for, who were calming folks who were getting arrested, trying to make sure that people stayed safe in that in that space, which I just can't even imagine. And it was just peaceful. And then five seconds later, it was a swarm of people in uniforms just yeah. arresting people. There was one girl that her face is stuck in my brain because I saw the fear in her eyes and she probably weighed less than 100 pounds and the way they were manhandling her. And I actually saw tears in her mm-hmm. eyes. I mean, it was it was a scary process. And to think that it, this happened here in Georgia and it's not over. We are going to uh, get that group of people together to talk about that and see what we can do going forward, because uh, that shouldn't have happened. That, that, that should not have happened. Mm-hmm. I know that a part that that was a part of um, a lot of voicing for the recounting of the votes and also really just the counting of all the votes that were happening. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff on election day that definitely shouldn't have happened. Um, One of the several polls opened late. We had to get judges to order that they they stay open later. So it was a lot of a lot of moving pieces going on and you need people in place that can um, ensure that. One of the things that disappointed me was that some of the people that are working at our polls, um, they were not encouraging. My job was to make sure that everybody that showed up there got to vote. If that was not your precinct, do a provisional ballot. And the pushback And giving people provisional ballots is what actually disgusted me. It's like, we'll we'll work it out later. Let them vote. And, you know, you have uh, the 48 hours to go and get make sure that your um, all your information is verified. But we were getting pushback from the poll workers to just give them that provisional ballot, which uh, was very disappointing, very disappointing. But at the same time, I was encouraged by the number of people that came out for a midterm election. Mm -hmm. And um, I think going forward, we've got to do the work on the front end before uh, the date to qualify and make sure that people know you got to get this in. And after that date, you're not going to be able to vote. So I'm encouraged by uh, the turnout. 
and uh, just the people that I met. Being, it's being on the ground the day of election, there's no better, the energy and uh, to see people coming in in wheelchairs, catching the bus, getting there. Um, it's, it's, it's very encouraging that they are finally awake enough that they know that their votes do count. One of the hardest things for me is getting people to register to vote. And some of the things that people say, uh, they just they're trying to get me for that child support and crazy stuff. It's like, no, 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 no. So um, it, it, we've got work to do. We know that. Is there currently um, do you hear a lot of people say that their vote doesn't matter when you're trying to get people to register? Yeah. What what? What do you say to those people? What I try to remind them about are people like my grandparents that fought and had to stand in line and, you know, just the different stories about, uh, you know, like Otis Moss was saying about his grandfather and how, how people had to fight for this right and how can you not exercise it? And if you don't vote, then you don't count. You really don't count. And I always say that uh, bad politicians are elected by good people that don't vote. If you don't vote, you know, you're not part of the process and uh, every vote does matter. And I know people are disenfranchised by what happened this last cycle. But the fact that in Georgia, a black woman garnered that many votes and was so close, that's encouraging in a statewide election. So I think that people realize now uh that we can do this. And um, I'm not here to talk partisan politics today, but Georgia is not red. It's definitely purple. <laughs> you know, I think we've we've proven that. And if, you know, we can do this in Georgia, then, um, you know, nationwide, the tr- I, I see the trend shifting. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with Cecilia. I do want to make space for the countless people that have, as Cecilia say, cast doubt on if their vote really does matter and does count in this democracy. I think we're living in an interesting time underneath the shadow of the November 2016 presidential election. And that is why, for many reasons, but that's one of the reasons why I think the midterm election in Georgia mattered so much is because, um, and across this country, especially in congressional federal you know, House races, is that people wanted to really understand if it's still possible to uphold this vision for what it means to have the right to vote in a democracy. So uh, I've, I've heard a lot of people talking in reference to why does this look like the civil rights movement? Why does this look like we're fighting again for just a basic right to vote and questioning the integrity of the system. For myself, I definitely will be completely honest and say that my faith did waver. And I don't necessarily have faith in the system and the process as it as it stands in Georgia, as it stands in the United States. What I do have faith in is the ideal of democracy, what it can and should be. And a true democracy where everyone's voice really does matter. I really want to make a point as well about accessibility to vote because I'll challenge a little bit on on what Cecilia said, my point of view around whether people that vote um, or not should have their voices heard in um, like the legislative process and policies that come out that affect everybody. I think that their lack of voting speaks volumes in and of itself about the state 
of the democracy, about the state of the right to vote. And so I very much advocate for the right to vote. Now, whether people want to exercise that or not, especially again, under the shadow of a national election that is still being uh, discussed and is still highly controversial, I understand why people may choose not to exercise that because they feel that it doesn't matter. I do want to always push though for people have the right to vote. And that's at a national level, what has been ripped apart. And so at a state level, I think it's important to for citizens to regain some power and regain some trust in that. And like Cecilia said, where the South goes, the rest of the country will go. And we have an opportunity right now, which is the hope, um, to really educate ourselves and educate one another on how do we protect that right to vote, which is supposed to be the most essential right. I mean, this is what really makes you Americans. I, I'm listening to some hearings about um, bills that are sitting in the legislature now about naturalized citizens. I remember volunteering with different organizations um, when I first came to Georgia, helping naturalized citizens register to vote. And it was probably the most intense moment I've ever had with a voter. I didn't realize how powerful this was for people who had fought for years and struggled to get their paperwork done, to be here, to be able to say, I am here legally and I'm a naturalized citizen. And that's something that not everyone has the ability to do because some people are coming here, as we know, without any sort of protection and aren't, for whatever reason, able to do it the quote unquote legal way. But for these folks whose families were there at these ceremonies and they were crying and running out of into the hallways ready to sign up to vote. I mean, it was just it was inspiring and it was powerful. And Leah, you're absolutely correct. I think everyone should have to go to see a naturalization ceremony because it's something we're it's our birthright. We we take it for granted. And when you see how important it is for uh, someone to go through that process and see the emotion that I think it would make people wake up a little bit like, hey, we're kind of taking this for granted, you know, and they are so excited to get registered to vote. You know, it's a privilege. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that about the naturalization ceremony, because that uh, that is important. And it's a lot, a lot. Most of us take it for granted. Mm. Where would you say that that we currently are? In, in the state of affairs with with voting in Georgia. And, you know, we have we have two years before we're looking at um, presidential candidates and other um, things to vote for. But what what movement is happening to um, to counterbalance what took place in the 2018 election to ensure that 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 right to vote? Because I I fall more on the lines with you, Leah. I, voting is a choice. It's a choice and a right that we have that we should utilize. We can't make someone do it, but we can make them aware and remind them. What do we do to ensure that every individual um, maintains that right, that birth given right here? I think one of the things that has to take place is the machines, the Mm -hmm. voting machines. A lot of people um, just don't trust that that their vote counts. The new um, machines that they're looking at, I, I have not tested them, so I'm not sure what the actual paper trail would be there. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add on that, Leah, but I know that if people trusted that process, they might feel a little more secure 
you know, if they had something when they left there to say, okay, if it comes down to a recount, we we can all pull these together. So I think that's going to be important. The important piece is getting voting machines that we trust. Like a receipt? Like you yeah, got a receipt? Basically, a receipt that shows who you voted for. I always feel better about, I know that on the social media end, a lot of people were taking photos and talking about how when they finished voting and they saw the screen for 2.5 seconds, their vote was wrong and then there's nothing they could do about it. And on the other end of that, the lack of machines that were at very populated voting locations. And for a lot of people who are voting on election day, um, they have jobs to go to. They have mouths to feed. They have places to be. They can't sit in lines for eight, five hours. That just, that, that. That, in my mind, is also an issue. The machines are a core issue and also making sure that, you know, you have the ample amount of machines and the cords and the yeah. things to power them. How about we declare a national holiday on the day of the election right? where everybody gets off, everybody gets to vote. And there are some states, I think Oregon is one where you can um, fill out the ballot and just put it in the mail. Everyone gets a ballot, you know, that is registered to vote and you just mail it back in. So, I mean, there are things that we can do, but I think the one of the main things is getting those voting machines um, that people are secure and know that their vote counts. In my opinion, Georgia is still somewhat in a state of shock. And it's almost like deja vu. And I hate to keep referring to the 2016 national elections. But the reason why I say that is because of what's happening under the people's house, right? The gold dome in in Atlanta is getting ready to affect the entire state. And I I think that, um, for one, people are still trying to get over what happened. And that's fair. And there has to be space made emotionally and mentally for how people feel about the results of the election. And, And not to go into any sort of partisan politics, but it's really hard for right now, especially Democrats and independents in the state of Georgia, but also there are quite a few Republicans who are disgruntled and disillusioned and are lacking trust right now in their elected officials, particularly those in the Secretary of State's office who oversee um, our elections. So right now, you know, um, I I reflect on the fact that the actual vote count, you know, that separated the two uh, primary uh, opponents, Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams, was like 50,000 votes when it was all said and done. And I think that's the size of like Georgia's 40th largest county out of 159. That's the size of Camden County. If that just gives people an idea of what we're talking about. And and that number is quite small compared to the almost 4 million people who came out to vote um, in November. And so that's how small of a margin we were talking about with this. And that is why when people talk about absentee balloting thrown out, absentee ballots uh, being returned or rejected because birth date was wrong, or if you have someone who was Muslim or Latinx who had a hyphen in their name that was not correctly listed in their signature. And because of what Georgia passed with the exact match policy, people were getting really I think really disenfranchised, um, obviously disenfranchised, but really disillusioned by the entire process. And not to mention, as Celia has pointed, <clears throat> with election protection, the total inconsistency with every local election board uh, or supervisor and how provisional ballots were or were not handed out and how absentee ballots were being handled just 
completely inconsistent. And so where we are now, I think, in kind of recovering from that is is not quite caught up to where the state legislature is. Right now, there is a bill, House Bill 316. It was authored and sponsored by Representative Barry Fleming, um, who is um, a Republican. And Barry Fleming is pushing a bill that is next week. Um, so that would be late February, getting ready to go to the floor of the House to be voted on. And this bill was introduced and uh, approved to move to the House in seven days. When we're talking about elections, governmental affairs, something that affects everyone, not just the four million people that voted, but the over almost 10 and a half million residents of Georgia. This is a big deal. And the fact that it was introduced on the Thursday and by the following Thursday was pushed to get to the House floor for a vote is mind boggling because the issue is so complex. Yeah, they're they're trying to uh, they're trying to force it through before uh, people get enlightened. Oh, yeah, basically. And one of the things that we have the legislature has to be more reflective of our population. You've been down there under the gold down. And when you sit in the gallery and you look down, it's like, where are the people that look like me? You know, where are the women? Where are the uh, people of color? So we've got to get out and vote and make sure that we get people that look like us to represent us. I want to share one thing that happened to me personally. It was my husband. He went to vote. We've lived in the same place for 33 years And they said that he couldn't vote at the precinct that we normally vote at. The only thing that was different was he had renewed his driver's license. He was flagged as a new first time voter when he's been voting for 33 years at that same precinct. How many other people did this happen to? What happened that day, I got on the phone. I had to make phone calls, but there's so many people that are just frustrated that probably walked away when they know they've been voting at a precinct for years. And what I think, what I know happened was the Secretary of State, they flagged certain people for no reason at all. All he did was renew. The only difference was he renewed his license. And every time I asked, what about this? And they said that plus four digit zip code wasn't the same, which was not true. They were, everything they said was not true. Same, same everything, but he still was, had to vote provisional. This was back in July. So, but anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm all that to say that there's so many people that that happened to that didn't have an advocate there to say no. You you got you got to let this person vote. They left. They left. They left. Some people are catching Marta to the polls to vote, and they got to get back to their jobs. So we've got to make it easier. We've got to make it easier. We've got to make sure that the people that are sitting down there under that gold dome represent us. Also in D.C., and that's one thing I really feel encouraged about is the number of women that went to Washington. We've got a whole... a whole lot more women, <laughs> at least on the Democratic side. So that's encouraging that um, people are are running for office. And that's what we got to do here in Georgia. Run for office. Run for office. And organize. Yeah. And I'll support you, Leah, if you want to run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I've actually been um, thinking about this because I've I've had three people in the last two months say to me, 
you know, um, not to run for office. So let me be very clear about that. But if I had considered doing some sort of workshop or educational series, and again, I'm just, um, I'm not just a citizen of of this country. I'm not just a resident of Georgia, but I I am um, not someone who has ever seen themselves taking any sort of really, really active political role. And I'll tell you that what this election did for me was really cemented my own sense of purpose in working for public policy change and using that alongside with my faith in a fight for justice, I think is is one and the same for me now. It's completely um, imperative that I educate folks with what I know and continue to educate myself. So I think one of the things we need to do next is to, to maybe slow down a little bit, to peel back some of the layers. One thing that I think is, is a really great um, example, and it's on another subject, but the documentary 13th by uh, extraordinary filmmaker Ava DuVernay really does an excellent job of telling a story, a true story, but peeling back all of the layers. And one of the things that's touched on in the film is gerrymandering. And so I think that people need to have a really good idea of what's happening and what is about to happen in the state and across the country. So right now it's 2019. Um, people are preparing and are staffing for um, a census that's getting ready to take place in this country. And it's still controversial with some questions that are up for debate in the courts. But the results of that census will not only determine funding and who gets it and which communities get it in terms of resources for how they live, but it's also going to essentially determine how reappropriation and redistricting happens. So in 2020 and 2021, when the results of the census come out, our state legislators at the Georgia Capitol are going to be looking at our congressional district map and dividing it up, slicing it up every way that they want to determine not only um, how people are, are, are voting, but who they have the opportunity to vote, who they get the chance to vote for. And that's the power of gerrymandering. And that's the power of the census. I mean, not only just saying, you know, we are trying to use exact match and other tactics in order to restrict access to the vote. But for those who some way, somehow squeak by and get the chance to vote, we now want to predetermine for you who you can vote for. It's a really, mm-hmm. really shocking so listen, thing. That's, yeah. that's wonderful. That movie, uh, 13th. Yeah, I think that we we need to uh, have some screenings of that mm-hmm. and along with some discussion. So I think that's a good action item to come out of this discussion today is um, have some, we did the same thing when the movie The Help came out. We um, we had five different people that hosted screenings and then we um had discussions about that. So uh, that's something positive that we can do is um, encourage people to see that and then have some discussion afterwards. What do you think, Leah? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, I, I'm always learning, I tell you. And, and I really appreciate a localized view of politics now because clearly what happens at the national level is going to be what happens. It's not that it doesn't matter, but what happens in my own backyard is much more important. And the power really is there. And I'm, I'm all for having screenings and and panel discussions and conversations because it is not for lack of trying that and, and for lack of just motivation. I don't feel that voters are really apathetic. I think it's knowledge. I think it's information. I think it's not being privy to what is this entire system about? How did we get here? And how do we make 
sure that we don't get in this position again. The um, other thing I wanted to say that that is a takeaway is that with House Bill 316, which has not yet again been introduced officially to the House floor and has not gone to the Senate yet, it's really important that Georgians reach out to their legislators, reach out to Representative Fleming, who authored and sponsors the bill, but reach out to your state legislator to tell them, I I, I do or I don't, you know, support this bill. There's a lot of things jam-packed in the House Bill 316, and people can check that out on the AJC Legislative Navigator or on the um, Georgia Assembly State Assembly website. But there are some pieces of it that are good. There are some pieces that 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 don't address exact match, which we know is inherently flawed, which federal judges have said is flawed. But there are some pieces that are good, like um, extending how many times someone gets notified um, about an absentee ballot or about their voter registration paperwork. Problem with that is that seventy three percent of Georgians don't like a core piece that's tucked into the bill around how we will vote. 73% of Georgians said in a poll that was done um, in January through WSB-TV that they want hand-marked paper ballots. House Bill 316 is proposing um, voting machines that are still electronic, that are touchscreen, that will spit out a paper ballot, but it is a barcode that is unreadable. And so voters have no way of identifying or verifying if they voted, who they voted for. So it's really important for people to um, pay attention as as best they can. There's a lot that happens at the state capitol, but this bill and potentially moving forward to the Senate is one that we really, really need to pay attention to. If people care about the right to vote, access to the vote, the integrity of our vote, then they need to make sure that they're expressing to their state representatives and state senators how they feel. Thank you for those numbers. That was great, Leah. Thank you. Um, one thing I want to stress, do you know how many people don't know who their state representative mm-hmm. are? They don't know who their city council person is. They don't have a clue what an NPU is. The lowest form of government that we have is our neighborhood planning unit. That's what we have set up in the city of Atlanta. So I'm going to challenge uh, both of you to every person that you meet, ask them, who's your who's your state senator? Who's your who's your Congress Per, you know, person who's your uh, city council person. That's something we all need to know. And so many of us don't. On election day, we get so many calls, or I do, because of my past work with the League of Women Voters, and they expect that I know everything about every race. Who do I vote for? So we've got to know ahead of time who to vote for and why we're voting for that person and know what they represent. But I want to challenge anyone hearing this, know who your state rep is, know who your congressperson is, your city council, know who the judges are. Those are the things that really will affect you. Uh, Of course, the president is going to, you know, that will help. I mean, that the national election is important. I'm not saying that, but the local election, and I think that's what you realize, Leah, that locally is what really uh, affects us on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I um, was a journalist for eight years, so I covered a lot of local elections. Um, And I can tell you that local board of elections, that they never have their stuff together and they're always messy. Um, But as far as local elections goes, people just did not understand 
why it was so important. For example, Jody Heiss, he's a Republican, very conservative person. Um, he came from the last place I was a uh, managing editor at Lake Oconee. Um, he was city council, then he was commissioner, then he ran for house, I'm pretty sure. And now he's there. The people you don't put your voice out for that may harm you every day, well, yeah, U.S. Representative Jerry Heiss. And I'm not saying anything negative about him. I'm just showcasing people didn't vote. He became a city council person. People didn't vote again. He sat on the commissioner. They didn't like the policies or things he was enacting. And then he ran for house. And so that that's kind of how that power builds. So really, you know, on the local level and the state level, there's a lot of power in there. So I, I want to echo that. But there are so many apps available to you, ways to know. I have an app on my phone called Countable. Um, anytime anyone votes, they email to me what they voted on. Anytime someone or within my district's representatives are going to have the availability to vote on something, they email me. I can call through that app. I can register to vote through that app. But there are so many different apps made for that. And also Facebook We'll tell you who your local officials are. Um, every time there's an election, they'll update that information. So there's lots of ways to connect in and to know who your representatives are. And you can call, email, and physically try to go see them as much as possible to voice because voting is very important and continuing to use your voice after voting is important. Even if the person that was elected isn't who you voted for, you still have the right to communicate with them. And that is just as important to um, to utilize as well. But I just wanted to add on yeah, to that. That's a good point. I mean, in, in this day and age with social media and everything right at your fingertips, we don't have an excuse for not knowing because it's it's right there. So that's one thing that uh, we all need to know who represents us. I just want to say thank you so much for, for both of you for taking time. Leah's actually in Nashville. Is that right, Leah? Did I lose Leah again? Oh, you're there. Yay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for making space for everyone listening. It's about 11.07 at the time frame. We started at 10. So thank you for the early risers for, for coming and getting on the line with us. But uh, we hope that you gain some information today, some perspective, and um, are leaving with some knowledge and some challenges for yourself on how you can become involved in this work. Um I want to kind of close it out with um, a statement from Leah and a statement from you about, um, you know, we've talked about a lot of heavy stuff and some some things that have happened that are not so fair. But um, there's a lot of really positive movement. So do both of you want to kind of speak to that, um, what you've seen that's positive, what's happening, um, encouraging ways to get involved um, from both sides of y'all's views? I'm encouraged because of the freedom fighters, people that actually lost their lives and they made sure that certain things took place. I feel like right now we're standing in a point in history where we, we have to do the same thing. We have to organize. We have to make sure that people are educated. We have to make sure that they know that their vote counts. And I just feel like 2016 had to happen to get us to this point because a lot of stuff we just kind of took for granted. Uh, we went through eight years of not really supporting a president that we should have stood behind. And now we are um, 
we're facing what we're facing because a lot of people, I don't say we're asleep at the wheel, but I think everybody's fully, fully awake now. So that's why I'm encouraged because I saw those people. I saw people that had never voted before that came out and voted. So I, I'm, I'm encouraged that uh, we've got work to do and we're willing to do it and seeing young people like Leah and Rachel that are fired up and ready to go. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by that. I am definitely encouraged, as Cecilia said, by the, the numbers of folks who, who came out. And, you know, four million people, that's the highest number of, of voter turnout that Georgia's ever had in a midterm election. That's, quote unquote, an off year, right? <laughs> that's when most people are asleep and, and don't necessarily mm-hmm, participate mm-hmm. in the electoral process. But that was that that in and of itself said a lot about how much people care about the direction that Georgia is heading in. And I am encouraged by that because I do believe that Georgia will lead the rest of the South into our future and a future that is better and safer and healthier for all of us, regardless of, of where people come down on their political affiliation. I, I was very much encouraged by that. I'm also encouraged by the accountability that people are, are giving to media. And I'm so appreciative of media like this podcast because it really does due diligence in helping people to see a little bit behind the veil and and behind the curtain, no pun intended with, you know, voting, but that's really encouraging and is necessary. It's absolutely necessary that people understand what's going on and that the people who are most impacted and affected get the chance to tell their story. I think we tell our stories best. Um, You know, unfortunately, some of the things that have happened in terms of voting rights and voter suppression in the country have been very detrimental to the victims and and to those who had to suffer and those who even died and those who just removed themselves from the process altogether. But the empowering part and the hope comes in when we we realize our voice, we realize our collective strength and education Arming ourselves with that is is going to be critical to engage and to sustain ourselves in this fight, to keep one another motivated, to keep one another uplifted, and to to keep holding ourselves, our media, and our elected officials accountable to protecting um, our democracy, which is what they're sworn to oath to do. Oh, thank you both so much for being a part of this. I will make sure to link some of the things that were mentioned in this podcast so you'll be available to to click on those wherever you get this podcast from. And also, I'll make sure to put it on my platform as well, which is already linked here. So, again, thank you both so much for for sharing time and and also telling your stories because they matter and and they should be heard. So thank you all. Thank you. Thanks so much, Rachel. Y'all, I wanted to give you an update. This podcast was recorded in the middle of February. And by the time that you're hearing this, some of those bills that were mentioned have already moved. So I'm going to read a post that Leah made March 30th. And I think it really sums up the importance of what we heard today. I'd like everyone to pause for a moment and get a clear picture of what's happening in Georgia. In less than 40 days, Republicans have successfully passed every conceivable racist, sexist, and downright deadly bill and overwhelmingly neglected the will of the people. 
To say this is an understatement, a few examples. Unchecked and unverifiable electronic voting machines under contract with a company that used to be run by the governor's current chief of staff, ensuring fraudulent election results like in November 2018, while 73% of Georgians support hand-marked paper ballots. That was House Bill 316, which was mentioned in this episode. Banning abortions after six weeks and only allowing abortions for victims of rape and incest if they file a police report, effectively rejecting women's right to bodily autonomy. That was House Bill 481. It passed. Refusing to protect women from perpetrators of domestic violence and said perpetrators to legally carry a firearm despite history of violence. Senate Bill 150. Refusing to punish perpetrators of hate crimes based on race, national origin, religion, sexual orientation, gender, mental or physical disability, House Bill 426. Failing to provide health care to cover all residents living in poverty, effectively keeping Georgia in the ranks of 14 other states who refuse to provide full coverage under the Affordable Care Act. Senate Bill 106. Requiring state tax dollars to protect Confederate statues and monument, keeping them on public land, making it illegal to store them in a museum. Senate Bill 77. Allowing the Secretary of State to continue purging voter registrations for everyone who hasn't voted in consecutive elections, and allowing a current elected official to run for a different position without resigning, like in November 2018 election. House Bill 6 and House Bill 8. There's an old adage that rings painfully true even in 2019. As the South goes, so goes the nation. What happens in Southern states impacts and determines the trajectory of this country. Republicans everywhere have made their agenda clear. Who will stop them?